0: All right. Hey, well, we are excited. I just wanted to introduce you to uh, someone I got to know the last several months that I think you're going to be delighted to get to meet. This is Brian Heasley, the International Prayer Director for 24-7. So would you do me a favor and give a warm Heights welcome to, uh, to um, Brian as he gets ready to speak. Um, the reason we wanted you to know that uh, I felt really just blessed to have Brian come speak is there's a phrase that I've said a lot uh, from E.M. Bounds that only God can move mountains, but prayer moves God and so we really believe that there's something about people tapping into the power of prayer, and so we started praying about it. I connected, and then I got to connect with Brian, and after a conversation, I feel like you're going to be blessed with what he has to say. Also, he has a cool English accent, which will make it way easier to listen <laughs> to him, but I would love if I could just to pray for our time and pray for God to anoint your words, and then he's going to be off to the races, and I think you're going to be blessed. Let me just pray. Holy Spirit, I thank you for this man, Brian. God, I... I I'm really impressed by people with character, but I'm not satisfied until people have real spiritual power in you. And God, I just sense uh, there's a power in uh, Brian's words and his anointing, and I pray that over this room right now. I pray that as he speaks, uh, God, that you would just season his words. Uh, Would they just be um, words that go forth from you? We pray what Paul said, that my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. So we pray as we talk on the subject of prayer, God, we acknowledge that there are people in different places in this room. Some people feel very comfortable in prayer. Some people feel like they've been asking and knocking and you've been silent. And I just pray, God, that you would just strengthen our resilience, our perseverance in prayer to seek you and bring your kingdom to this earth. So we just pray this over the time, we pray that your word would go forth in a supernatural way, and we just thank you for your many, many blessings, and uh, we just pray for these sessions. In the name of Jesus, uh, we all agreed and said, amen.
1: Amen. Thank you, Brian. Not only is he a great man, he's got a great name. Uh, It means strong warrior, by the way, which is Irish. It's an Irish in its origins. But you might, if you listen to me, you'll think, he sounds English. Do I sound English? Okay, just there's something you need to know that will help you. I am actually Irish, but I moved to England when I was young, so, uh, and I'm married to an English woman. My dad was a Baptist minister. He moved to England to try and, you know, evangelize the English, and uh, they need it. And we, we stayed there. So that's, that's me. And it's a, it's a real joy to be with you today. Thank you, Pastor Gary, for inviting me and Brian for inviting me. It's lovely to be with you. And my role as International Prayer Director of 24-7 Prayer allows me to travel the world and to see different expressions of prayer and people praying all over the place from small churches to big churches from you know uh, on the streets I was in Beirut on the streets of Lebanon this, this earlier this year to we're seeing prayer happening in places like Iran in Malaysia in just there is something that's happening around the world that is unique and new and as we have longed for for years I think what happened was that we went through this great pandemic and all of a sudden we realise that all of our programmes, all of our structures, though they are good and they are really exceptional, our buildings, our people, all of that, we have understood that all great revivals are born out of prayer. They're sustained by prayer and they bring forth more prayer. Wherever we are seeing a move of God around the world right now, there are people praying. And so my job today is not to make you feel guilty about your prayer life, uh, not to beat you up, not to make you think, oh my goodness, I don't pray enough. i tell you, I know some prayer warriors and they don't pray enough. Nobody prays enough, okay? So let's just just chill on that one. What we want to do by the end of this time is we want to pray more than we were before. Okay, so we're going to go on a journey. We want to see God break in. And when it comes to prayer, I really loved what Pastor Gary was talking about last week about uh, the person whose face lights up when you walk into the room. Can I just say that God's face lights up when you walk into the room? That his primary expression towards you is a smile. God is a smiling God. It's, you know, if we <laughs> Numbers six, verse twenty-four to twenty-five, you Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine upon you. And you know, there, there's some translations that say that that whole word countenance. And we say, you know, he, His face lit up when He smiled, or her face lit up. You know, and it's like God smile upon you. Actually, there's some translations as well. Psalm sixty-seven, verse one: May God be merciful and bless us. May His face smile with favor on us. So when it comes to prayer, can I just remind you that you're coming to a God whose primary expression towards you is a smile. You were fearfully and wonderfully made. It says in Psalm 139, God loves you. When you walk into the room like Gary with his grandchildren, his face lights up. Whenever you turn to your father in prayer, his face, although it is already lit up, he smiles because he longs to have a conversation with each one of us. He longs to speak with you and to listen to you. And so this is the joy of prayer. The the, the problem that we've had for you, is we have this kind of the guilt of prayer but we have we need to understand the joy of prayer which is communion with God your opportunity to have a conversation with God. And so for me, I was brought up in uh, in Northern Ireland, Baptist church, and then I, I, I spent some time in a Pentecostal church, and then I've hung out in Anglican churches, and I've done some work for the Catholic church, and I've been all over the show and seen lots of different churches and lots of different expressions of church. But what I see is that when people capture something of the essence of prayer, and what prayer means, God does something in our lives, and we see breakthrough. Breakthrough comes from a praying people. So how do we pray? Well, my question to you is this. It's a weird question. Where is your garden? Where is your garden? Because the first encounter that we see around prayer happened in a garden. And I guess prayer for me is an encounter. And we use that word a lot, don't we? You know, or maybe we don't use it as much as we used to, but we encounter, there are encounters that change us. When I first met my son, when he, you know, when my wife had a baby, it changed me. You know, it was it freaked me out at first, but you know, it changed me. I was like, oh, where did it well, I knew where he came from. You know, I was there, but it was like sorry. It was it was scary, you know, but that changed me and it had another one and it changed me. You know, we have we have illness, an encounter with illness. It changes us. I fell off the roof of a house when I was 18. I thought I was gonna die. The encounter changed me. It made me be more sensible when I walked on the roof of houses. But encounters change us. You know, tragedy, new life, conflict, unemployment, new jobs, these are encounters. Encounters that we have and they change us when I first met my wife it was an encounter that changed me I'll tell you how it happened I joined a, a new church when I was 20 in in England and she was in the worship band and she was playing the saxophone and in, on Sunday morning I thought she's staring at me okay I don't know if you're this is bad by the way but anyway she's staring at me and I'm so I'm there, I'm, I'm staring at her but you know in a worshipful way So, you know, because she's in the worship band. And I'm like, you know, trying to put on my best worship face just so she thinks, oh, look, he's a good worshiper. I was genuinely worshipping. Sorry, I'm not. And and she's like saxophone staring at me. And I'm thinking, in England, we call it giving me the eye. So I'm thinking she's looking at me. I'm looking at her. There's a connection. This is really working out. And so, and I pursue that connection. And when I eventually get to meet her and we start to date, I say, you were always staring at me in worship. And she said, Brian, I'm short-sighted. I can't see further than the front of the stage. <laughs> she had never looked at me once, okay? But hey, there you go. God is good. And that encounter with my wife changed me. So we have, this is prayer, it's an encounter. And, and then we have the ultimate encounter, that encounter where, if we meet with Jesus. That is an encounter that changes us. We encounter him, his grace, his forgiveness, his salvation. And it is an encounter that changes each one of us. And it's a beautiful thing. But I didn't want, when I gave my life to Jesus, to just have a one-off encounter. It wasn't just in that moment of salvation that I wanted to encounter him. I want to encounter him on a regular basis basis. And that's what happens when we get to the question of, where's your garden? Because here's the fact that in, the, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 8 to 9, there's a really sad story, but it also points to something. It's an echo to how it was meant to be. Genesis 3, verse 8 to 9. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? Or if you grew up like I did with the King James Version, where art thou? Sounds better in English, doesn't it? Where art thou? And uh, it's a sad story of the fall, but it also alludes to something that... The original creation intent was that God and man walked regularly together. Now, the reflexive conjugation of the Hebrew verb would suggest this. They walked for pleasure. They walked for pleasure. And so we have this idea of Adam and Eve walking for pleasure with God and the cool of the day was when the work was done so you have this rested Adam and Eve the work is done and there's also implication as you dig into the Hebrew that it was regular so we get this picture from this little glimmer in the Bible the original creation intent was that we would walk regularly for pleasure with God, and that we would encounter him on a daily basis. Isn't that beautiful? Of course it went wrong. The text implies as well they heard the sounds of the Lord God, that they heard him walking. They listened for his footsteps. They were still. Psalm 46 verse 10 says, Be still and know I am God the Franciscan monks call that verse the gateway to prayer so they were still and they knew that he was God and then they encountered him the original plan was one of regular encounter a set aside time of walking and talking with God in the garden so today where's your garden where is your garden Do you think that when God called out to Adam, Where art thou?, that he had lost him? The (laughs) omniscient God, the all knowing God, had lost Adam? No. Uh, Most commentators would say it was more about, Where are you at? God wants to inquire after the state of Adam's heart. And when God comes to meet with each one of us, he wants to inquire after the state of each of our hearts. And Adam hid it himself because he felt shame. But we need to remember that through the precious blood of Jesus, we no longer need to hide ourselves and feel shame. But we turn to a loving father who is smiling at us and we bear our hearts to him in whatever condition it may be. Where are thou? And so we need to create regular space in our lives for regular encounter. A garden. The Hebrew word for garden is Ghana, which isn't dissimilar to our own word for garden, is it really? It means enclosed or hidden place. In, uh, in Mediterranean climes, they were normally a walled garden. It was a, and there was little fountains and little trees and you'd walk and there'd be seats and you'd sit and it'd be out of the wind and it'd be beautiful. You see them in Moorish architecture in Seville or you see it when you go to Morocco or Tunisia, these walled gardens. And so this is the idea of a garden, this enclosed place, almost a secret place, a place for you Create a space that is made and cultivated for you to spend time with God. Where's your garden? Where's your place of encounter? Where do you encounter God on a regular basis? My chair is my garden in my living room. I have an armchair. I have a little lamp next to it and a little table and, a you know, it's comfortable and I come down in the morning and I have a little routine. I make a cup of coffee. I make a, I can make a pot of coffee because I'm very, very, normally very highly caffeinated. And so I make a. In England as well, people have started to get a little bit snobby about coffee. If people got like that here, it, you know, oh, it needs to be like a drip free, whatever, over. I can't even remember. I'm not even going to go there and, and describe it all wrong. And so I sit in my chair with my coffee and I get my Bible out and I get my journal out and, I, and, it be, and it's my garden. I spend an hour there every morning. I do that because I do not have small children. So I'm just going to tell you that right now. If you think, oh my goodness, he's telling me I need to pray for an hour. If when we had two small boys, I had said to my wife, Tracy, I'm just going to sit for an hour while you wrestle them, try and feed them, try and get them to school, try and control the whole situation. And I was just in the living room, chilling with Jesus. I think she might've had an issue. You know, so you have to understand that your garden will look different at different seasons of your life. Okay? There'll be t- but we all need a garden. You need to work out a place where you encounter God, because when you encounter God it is when you see breakthrough. And if we only wait to see breakthrough here, God wants to do it everywhere. He wants to break out with you and through you and in you all the time. He's looking to meet with you and encounter you as much as possible. He's jealous for you. He wants to spend time with you. He likes you. He likes you and he wants to spend his time with you. So for others, mine is my chair and I love it. Coffee, all of that, little bit of worship music, nice and chilled. For other people, it could be the gym. Put your earbuds in and pray. I've got two sons. A little while ago, you'd be pleased to know I don't quite go to the gym as much. When I used to go to the gym, I had two weights. He was doing the bench presses. And I used to lift my sons up to Jesus with the weights. Now, was there anything weird about the weights? Nothing. Were they holy? No, they weren't. They helped me concentrate. They helped me be in the garden, and my sons, Ellis and Daniel, Ellis and Dan, I lift them up to you. So you can create a garden anywhere. You can create your car to be a garden. I've noticed that you guys spend a lot of time in cars. There's a lot, I mean, it is so big. In England, if someone said to me, could I drive for an hour, I'd have to really think about it. I mean, really. We would say that I live near a town called Norwich. It's 22 miles away. And we often think, oh, you know, it's just too far. Whereas you guys, I know, you've got a big country. We've got a little diddly country, okay? But that's ideal for creating the car, in turning the car into the sanctuary, the place of encounter. My friend, he turned his car into a sanctuary. And when he met his girlfriend for the first time, he opened the car door to let her in. And he said, welcome to my tabernacle. And she was like, this is really weird and freaky. But... But now they're married, it's all fine. It seems like these things, God blesses men despite their stupidity, okay? and (laughs) The car, the perfect place for you to develop a prayer life. Obviously, don't close your eyes. I mean, write too much down. But I don't know if you've got a dog, walking the dog. I had a dog for years, became a place of prayer. We've just got to be creative when, when we turn things into a garden, a place of encounter, I had a friend and he was praying for Lithuania so he wrote Lithuania back to front on his toothbrush Lithuania is a country in Eastern Europe and so when he was cleaning his teeth when he was cleaning his teeth he'd see Lithuania in the mirror and he'd remember to pray for Lithuania I'm, I'm, I'm just throwing it out there there's lots of different ways just need to be creative because God wants to meet you in a garden you just need to create a garden a place of encounter the dog, the car, the gym, you know, lots of different places. Church, there's places you can go. People love nature. People love lots of different things, but create a garden, create a regular place where you encounter God. You know, and when we think about this, we have to remember the life of Jesus that he was prayerful. Our Lord prayed regularly, he had encounter. With the Father on a regular basis. Matthew six, verse six says this. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. It's great, isn't it? Do you know that the, the, the word for <laughs> the, the word for you know close the door and pray to your father who is unseen, go into your room, is this Greek word tamion. It was probably a room at the centre of a house, it was the only room with a locking door. It had no windows. This was an inner room, says one commentator, secluded, probably windowless, and possibly with the only lockable door in the house. It is thus proverbial for a secret place. So Jesus says, go into a quiet place, a windowless place. I don't know about you, but how many windows do you have open? I have the window of my iPad, I have the window of my, there are other devices available, of course. I have a window on my iPhone, I have a window on my computer, I have, a, I have so many windows that I look into. Do you know it would take you, to read the Bible in a year, it would take you 15 minutes a day, but we spend 150 minutes a day on social media. There's lots of windows I'm, I'm not. And I'm on Instagram. You can find me there. I'm not anti it, but I just there is there is a sense in which we need to learn to close windows when it comes to encounter, and when it comes to breakthrough, we need to dial down the distractions. Jesus said, "Dial it down." He didn't say "dial it down." Sorry, that's it's not. You won't find that in the Bible. Sorry, but <laughs> he said, "When you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen." So. Charles Haddon Spurgeon said, all that a college course can do for a student is coarse and external compared with the spiritual and delicate refinement obtained by communion with God. All our libraries and studies are mere emptiness compared with our closets. We grow, we wax mighty, we prevail in private prayer. Amazing. I love the line in there about delicate refinement. Encounter And breakthrough is often delicate refinement. It isn't always earth-shattering. It's a delicate refinement. When you meet with God on a regular basis, when you encounter him daily, he starts to shape you and delicately refine you. You start to see breakthrough happen in your life through the delicate refinement of daily encounter with him. And so we see that Jesus prayed. In Matthew 1, verse 35, it says, Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. <laughs> I'm a Christian, therefore I'm a follower of Jesus, therefore I should be trying to do what he did, and he prayed. What's really fascinating about this is that the, a little while before that, uh, he's, he's healed Peter's mother-in-law, and it said, the, the whole town has turned up as a, as a pastor that's my dream that the whole town turns up so the whole town has turned up if you look earlier in, in that first chapter of mark in mark 33 the whole town has gathered outside the door and the next morning jesus jesus gets up and he goes off and prays and then the disciples come and they say jesus everybody's looking for you you know and basically what they're saying is jesus we need to go back and build on the breakthrough. We need to go back because, you know, there's a lot happening here. Things are going well. And Jesus said, hang on, I need to be about my father's business. There are other places we need to go. And Jesus moves on to other places. He doesn't go back and start a revival centre. He could have done. But you see, what happens is that when we are, things are going well, we forget to pray. In Deuteronomy, God said to the children of Israel, he said, do not forget me when it goes well with you. When things are going well, we sometimes forget about God. And here we have at the early, at the beginning of Jesus's ministry, things are going well. And when things are going well, there's one thing I've noticed that can happen is we forget to inquire of God. You see it throughout the Bible. You know that in Exodus, you see Moses, he, he, at first he's asked to uh, strike the, the rock. the second time he's asked to speak to the rock, but he strikes the rock. I could give you all the Bible verses, but he doesn't really listen to God properly the second time. Or when you look at Judges chapter uh, 16, you'll see that Samson, he says, "I'll go outside as before. He takes the anointing for granted." He's just defeated the Philistines about three times. He means, "I can do it again." And, and we, we see in, in, in uh, Joshua where the, where the Gibeonites come along and he says, and there's a beautiful line, says, he did not inquire of God. And so what happens is when people things are going well, we forget to pray. When it's all going well, we forget to pray. And it was all going well here for Jesus and he goes to a desert place and prays. And it's when we go to a desert place and pray that we find guidance, Guidance, I don't know about you, but I need guidance. The breakthrough of guidance. The breakthrough of knowing what to do next. The breakthrough of how to pray for my children. The breakthrough of how to care for those around me. The breakthrough of seeing stuff happen in the world that I inhabit. I want to see breakthrough, but I need God's guidance. And then we see, we move on to Jesus again in Mark chapter six, verse 31 to 34. Mark's very good because Jesus prays three times and if you're a good Baptist, it gives you three good points, okay? So I love that, sorry. Don't worry about it. I'll move on. Mark 6 says this, then because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns to go there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. This is the second incident of Jesus's prayer. And here's the first one is this, is that he goes by himself to a solitary place and then he leads his disciples to a solitary place. There's a a challenge for us as leaders. If we pray, we can lead other people into prayer. If we don't pray, we can't lead other people into prayer. You know, so so Jesus takes his disciples and he leads them. But here's what's fascinating is that the crowd follows him. Has the crowd ever followed you into your prayer time? It follows me sometimes. It's just distraction, head noise, stuff that's going on, the needs of people around me. I'm reading Romans chapter 12 and I'm thinking about Rome and all of a sudden I'm in a prayer time in the morning and I'm thinking, oh, Rome. I'd love to go to Rome on holiday. We had some pasta. What's the pasta? Yeah, there's some pasta in the fridge. My friends had some pasta. Oh, when we were around Tracy's mother's the other day, she had pasta. Oh, yeah, it was lovely. And and then, but I... Yeah, but then I asked her, she asked me if she could borrow my jet wash to w- wash her drive with and I was like, yeah, I have forgot to do that. Maybe I should do, why don't they have their own jet wash? And before you know it, I'm on Amazon looking for half-priced jet washers and I started off meditating on Romans. Does that ever happen to anybody else or am I going mad here? And sometimes it happens when someone's preaching. We send people off. It's basically what I would call a trance. Your mind just wanders off. And before you know it, someone's mentioned, you know, someone's mentioned Romans 12, and you're thinking about buying a pressure washer. And you don't know how you got there, but there was a trail, you know. And that happens a lot. And so we get in this kind of, a really busy, and the crowd follows us in. All the stuff that we need and all the things that are around us, they follow us into our garden. Jesus dismisses the crowd and then he makes his disciples, it says in Mark six forty-five to 46, get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. After leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. So Jesus goes up on a mountainside to pray. He's really busy, really, really busy. And what happens here is it's about identity because when you see the crowd is behind him, the storm is in front of him, but in the middle he prays. And it's about identity because it comes, he, he comes down and uh, he walks on water. I find this fascinating. And Pastor David was talking about this a little while ago. I watched some of your sermons just so I got the vibe of what was happening here, just in case you think, has he been coming to our church? And, uh, but on New Year's Day, and he talked about like, the Jesus getting into the boat and saying, I am. But it's before that even in Mark 6, verse 48, it says he was about to pass them by. And, and you kind of think, what? Well, Jesus walked out in the boat, they're all struggling, and he's just going to walk by. Just gonna pass them by. But you see, what what we forget is that if you were a good Jew and you understood the whole thing, you not only do you understand the I am getting into the boat, but you understand the language of he was about to pass them by. Because it is the same language that God used and is in when in Kings when it talks about God was gonna pass by Elijah. It's the same language that's used when God passes by Moses. You know, in, 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 in Exodus 33, he passes by. In 1 Kings 19, he passes by. And so, so Mark is basically saying, this is God. He knew who he was. He understood his identity. He knew exactly who he was. And so when he says he was about to pass them by, there's a nod to the Old Testament fathers and a nod to the fact that this is the same God who passed by Elijah. This is the same God who passed by Moses. And this is the same God who is passing by the disciples who's about to get into a boat in the midst of all their busyness and help them. And God wants to encounter you like the real living God, the God of Jacob, the God of Abraham, the God of Elijah, the God of the disciples. Wants to walk by, and he wants you to notice him, and he wants you to jump, and he wants to jump in the boat with you, and he wants to encounter you in the midst of all your busyness. That's who my Jesus is. He wants, and that's the encounter he wants to have of each one of you. And then when we look finally, I'm cracking on because I'm like, we've got all day, but you know, I've got loads to say. It's probably more of a challenge. that I'm talk too much. I am from Ireland originally, and they're renowned talkers. Mark 14 that we see this third point, which is Jesus is in the garden. And you know, you need to remember, and here, here's, here's the deal, in when things are going well, we can forget. When, when we're busy, you know, that, that also is a stress. But here, Jesus is in crisis. I think people do pray when they're in crisis. If the first one is about God's guidance, you know, Jesus, everything's going well. If the second one is about identity, Jesus knows who he is. The third one is about presence. God comes along and says, I am with you. Jesus says, listen, Uh, they went to a place called Gethsemane and Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James and John along with him and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said. Everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. What a moment of grace and intimacy in the garden. And so I really genuinely believe that God wants to meet with each one of us. Today, this feels like a little garden moment, a time of breakthrough. God wants to come to you wherever things are going well, whether you're really busy or whether you're in crisis. He wants to meet with each one of you because his face is inclined towards you and he's smiling. He's looking down, he's saying, I want to spend time with you. And so there's a challenge. Yes, there is a challenge. And someone once said to me, you should always challenge family and encourage friends. And right now we're just friends, but I just feel like I I felt kind of relaxed enough to challenge you. The challenge is this. Where's your garden? God is saying, where art thou? Not to make you feel guilty, not to beat you up, but because he loves you and he wants to spend time with you. And he's looking for us, the church, to get creative at creating space for encounter. He doesn't want to just meet you in a crowd. He wants to meet you on your own. For some of us, that's very, very scary. But he loves you. His face is turned towards you. So I'm gonna pray, if that's okay. I'm sure you're gonna let me do that. Father, I pray right now that you would lead people to a new garden. Maybe you'll just re-emphasize their old garden. But Father, we pray right now that you would move amongst us. We wanna see breakthrough, but we wanna see it in our own lives with you. And I pray right now that we would take the practical steps that are necessary to create the garden where we can encounter you. So come, Holy Spirit, Move upon us, lead us and guide us. In Jesus' wonderful name, amen.